You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And we have um, a few things we want to get to in this uh, last podcast of the week. We have Vince Marrow. Uh, is he really considering going to the Youngstown State to become their uh, head football coach? Uh, also, uh, your story, Kyle, that you've got coming out in The Athletic on Emmanuel Quickly, which you teased a little bit on Twitter. And then, of course, Kentucky plays at Auburn Saturday, college game day in town, and we'll get into that matchup a little bit as well. But let, let's start with Vince Marrow, uh, because when we talked earlier this week on this podcast about it, I think we surmised, Kyle, that uh, $750,000 a year at Kentucky and the city of Lexington was greater than approximately $200,000 a year in the city of Youngstown, even if that meant Vince Merrill was a head coach there rather than a tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator here. But Merrow did do an interview with WKBN, the CBS station, 20, Channel 27, up there in Youngstown, and he sounds like he's interested. Uh, the first question was um, answered, Mar- Marrow said, my interest until I talk to somebody I'm just watching as a fan. Big fan of Jim Trestle, who is the, he's the president of the university, right? He's the president uh, of I Youngstown believe so State. now, yeah. yeah, incredibly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people calling me from back home wanting me to come here if the interest is there for me to be the HUD coach, we'll have to see. I'm from here. I know the area. you got to get a coach who believes in his hometown first. And he's got to bring in good players. I've been at the highest level. My reputation is second to none. And whenever I'm ready to be a head coach, I know I'll do a good job. So he's selling himself now. We're building a good thing at Kentucky. But in the short future, you never know when is the right time to do it but I know I will be a head coach sometime. So what if you did wind up as the Youngstown head coach? What would that mean to you if if that did happen? Well, it would be a blessing just having a lot of friends here, all my classmates, teachers, people I grew up with, family. I know all the coaches in the state of Ohio have a good reputation there. If something like that was to happen, right now I'm employed by, by Kentucky and I love Kentucky, but if that was to happen, I have no doubt that I'd be successful. Again, selling himself. And then finally, if they're interested in me, I'm pretty sure they'll reach out to me. Because he was asked, would you reach out to them? And he's like, no, if they they want me, they'll come to me. Then he says, if that's the case, then you sit down and you talk. I'm really good friends with Mark Stoops. I'd talk to him and see what's his thoughts. But as far as being a head coach, coming back here, I have no doubt I know what it takes to get this thing to the next level if that was something I was going to do. So then, add one more thing to it, Uh, four-star all-purpose back Michael Drennan from Dublin, Ohio. He's going to sign next Wednesday. He's the last one remaining that Kentucky wanted in this class uh, in what was formerly the the big signing day, the first Wednesday in February, 
which is next Wednesday, uh, he's the last one, and he is down to Southern Cal and Kentucky. And he told 24-7 Sports that Marrow staying at UK or leaving for Youngstown State is something he's definitely watching uh, that, that will have you know, some sort of impact here. So, you hear all that, Kyle. Uh, do you change your tune at all on Vince Merrill? No, I don't. I know some people are, but I just, I still, I think a lot of, I mean, I'm sure that he is intrigued, you know, if it was any other FCS job, I would say absolutely not. I think the fact that it's Youngstown makes it a little more interesting because it's home for him um, and he could recruit Ohio. But, I mean, one is the salary difference. Two is, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I think there's some challenges there. Um, and, and I just, to me, I feel like this is about needing, um, needing almost like when Calipari flirted with uh, UCLA. And it was genuine. I mean, he, he talked to them and he was you know, serious about, hey, maybe I'll take this. But that to me was also about needing after a while, you know, you stay anywhere long enough and and succeed at a high level, you begin to be taken for granted or feel like you're being taken for granted. Um, And I think that was the case with Cali. I hadn't been in the Final Four in a while and people were kind of, you know, bitching and moaning. And he wanted to hear Kentucky say, we want you for life. And so they did. Um, I feel like, and this is, this is just a feeling, but I feel like this is probably that, you know, a bunch of coaches got raises on this staff. Some newer coaches got big raises. He's, you know, you could make an argument that he's the most important guy on the staff. Uh, and I think he just wants to hear that, you know, whether it be directly or in money or in fans saying, please don't go Vince, please don't go Vince. You know, Vince is the most social media forward guy on the team. He's out there tweeting and interacting and, you know, he talks about interacting in the community. I think he wants to hear, you know, we're desperate to keep you and have that show up in his bank account as well. And until I hear otherwise, until he leaves Kentucky, I will, I will not believe otherwise. Well, I was, um, I was under the, my, uh, you know, the thought that he, he already felt that enough, like with this recruiting class and, uh, their celebration afterward uh, that, that, you know, he kind of felt. But I could see where, you know, right around that signing day time, uh, they gave Eddie Grant a raise that takes him almost to a million dollars a year. And then, like you said, some other guys got raises, like Brad White, John Sumrall, Steve Klinkscale. Um, but after actually hearing him talk, like listening to him say this in this interview, it's about a four-minute interview, and he, he just continues to be selling himself and saying, "Well, I have no doubt I, I do a great job. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I can become become the head coach here at Youngstown State and 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 make this thing successful. And if you think about it, uh, if he wants to be a head coach, and if he goes to Youngstown and has success, then in a few years he could make the leap and go to a uh, a Mac school maybe, or, um, you know, somewhere possibly even bigger. Um, if that's the route he wants to go, he says he wants to be a head coach someday. Is this the right spot to go? When he talks to Mark Stoops, does Mark say, hold on, 
Let me go see what I can do for you. And then they come back with another offer. I would imagine that's the way it goes, right? That they do counter offer if indeed Marrow is offered the Youngstown job. That they, they come back and say, let us do this for you to keep you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I, <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I just, uh, I do think, I do think that um, if he's going to stay at Kentucky, they need to get it done in the short term because they may miss out on their sort of game-changing guy. And they only have one guy they're really pursuing for this late signing period, the, what was the traditional signing period before the early one was added, that's coming up next week. Um, they may miss their guy, Michael Drennan, who you know is probably the closest thing in this class available that they could get to be you know the next Lynn Bowden. Uh, you don't want to put too much on a kid, but if you're trying to find somebody that could be that, a dynamic playmaker type. It's this Michael Drennan kid. Um, and him, his comments to me were almost more interesting than Vince's. Just that, like, this is making me uneasy. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I want to make my decision soon, but maybe I won't be able to. And, you know, he talks about going back to eighth grade with Vince Marrow and how many times he's been on Kentucky's campus and how comfortable and familiar he is here. And, you know, it seems to me if Vince Marrow wasn't a question, then it wouldn't be a question that they were getting Michael Drennan. Um, but when your yeah. other competition is USC, and now the guy who's been recruiting you forever since eighth grade is wavering on whether he's even going to be there. And even if Vince ends up staying, now this is in your mind. Like, is this guy going to leave while I'm at Kentucky? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be costly. Even even if Vince ends up staying, just this sort of dalliance can end up being kind of costly for Kentucky. But, you know, the, the main objective – for UK has to be the long game, which is keep him for more classes to come. I mean, he's he's the backbone of so many of these great recruiting classes, and I don't know what they do. Um, I don't know that there's anybody quite like Vince to go go steal off somebody else's staff, right? Um, because it has to be like you would you would have to go find somebody who's a, a great recruiter in Ohio. And I mean, no, nobody's better than Vince Marrow, is? Are they? I mean, no. I mean, I mean whoever can... whoever's on Ohio State staff, but they're recruiting the to the Jersey. You know, they're recruiting. Yeah. It's Ohio State, and, and everybody's going to stay home there. But outside of Ohio State, and is anybody going to come from Ohio State to Kentucky? I don't know. Um, outside of Ohio State, Vince Marrow is the best recruiter of the state of Ohio in the country. So. You know, you have you you would you would be a must to replace him with an Ohio tied guy because you can't cut off that bloodline. Um, there's no equivalent anywhere for Kentucky football. It's been it's been sort of the marrow, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and I that, honestly, that just was not an intentional pun, but I mean, it really has been sort of the marrow of of what they have done here is is all these Ohio guys. So you'd have to get an Ohio guy. And I don't know that you can get anybody close to what Vince has been able to do. Um, I guess and you're not good- going to get Mark Stoops' childhood friend with those kind of connections. Right. And, who and, played and, in know, the NFL. And- the good news is you wouldn't be going necessarily head-to-head with Vince on guys because he'd be at a sort of a step-down school. So it wouldn't be, you know, the nightmare for Kentucky is Vince Merrill goes to another power conference right. program yeah. that can recruit Ohio. Um, but even still, you've got to go get somebody who can do what he was doing. So I don't know. I, this is, 
I still don't think he leaves, but this is a pretty big headache for Mark Stoops, and it's a pretty big nightmare if he does. All right, well, we'll we are uh, well overdue for a break, and when we come back, Kyle, we're going to talk about your article coming up in The Athletic on Emmanuel Quickly when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. All right, Kyle, so this article you've got coming out, you teased it on Twitter, and I didn't want to say uh, anything I knew about it. You know, I'll, I'll have to leave the reveal to you, but I will say this before you tell people about it. Uh, you did the article on Lynn Bowden, and once you did that article and what was revealed in that article about him was then used in broadcasts of games from then on out. Like whatever, whoever had the game, whoever the announcers were, whoever the color guy was or the play-by-play announcer uh, for Kentucky football games, from that point through the bowl game, they would refer to what was revealed in that article uh, about Lynn Bowden that, that you did with him. And, and it showed up all the way up until that, that bowl game. Pre-bowl game, there is a fight. What better time to, um, to reference the, the article that you had and the uh, upbringing that Lynn Bowden had uh, in that article that came out. So what you're about to put out here, or what is out now, I guess as we're speaking, as you're listening to this podcast, it's already out there, uh, what, you, what you will read about Emmanuel quickly in this article, I predict, will be brought up time and time and again, and without doubt, without a doubt, will be brought up in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I would think so. Um, because sort of like the Lynn Bowden story, you know, we were sitting there talking about tattoos, and he you know, reveals like, oh yeah, this one means death because I thought I'd be dead by now, <laughs> and I've been I've been lying to people about it, and and uh, yeah. basically, yeah, you know, people think I was in a gang. I kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the same type of revelation, but it, it is in terms of like, whoa, I didn't I did not expect you to share that with me, um, and so so the way it starts is. Um, when, when Emmanuel quickly first came to Kentucky two summers ago, I remember the day he moved to Lexington, he tweeted out about, hey, uh, you know, does anybody know a good church in this denomination? He's Pentecostal. Um, a good Pentecostal, I think he, Pentecostal church, I think is what he said, in Lexington. And, that, and he got all these replies. And it's, it just struck me and always kind of stuck in the back of my mind. I've never seen a player do that. Like the day they got to town, like where can I go to church? Yeah. You know, and then this year – he started this year talking so much about faith and religion. And if you asked him, you know, why in the preseason, why do you think this is going to be a breakout year? And then after a couple good early games, why are you so much different or better now? He, he always said like, it's because I've reconnected to God. I've, you know, started reading my Bible every day and every, every night. Um, and that, is you know he, he gave all of the credit to that and it just reminded me of that tweet back when he first arrived and I thought I, I'd like to I'd like to write about what Emmanuel's faith means to him and I had spent some time talking to his mom I did a, one of the letters from home when he was a freshman with her and her talking a lot about their faith and what his name means God with us Emmanuel means God with us his Twitter handle is IQ Godson mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so, you know, there are guys that, that will spout sort of the, like, let me thank God type thing that feels like maybe it's just lip service or, or it's all kind of a put on. But I never, ever felt that with Emmanuel, and I knew it was important to him. 
and I wanted to explore that a little bit. And so I asked for a while about, could I, could I go and just observe him at church? Um, you know, and, and, and it's Pentecostal yes. church. Mind yeah. You. And then that's a, that's a pretty, if you, you can't be Pentecostal and give lip service to God. Yeah. It's a, it's an intense it's experience. It is an intense experience. Uh, which by the way, I, I didn't end up including this in the story, but the, the pastor pulled me in as soon as I walked through the doors and he's like, by the way, we do not handle snakes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I didn't think they did. Not at this location. That is a stereotype <laughs> of sort of Eastern Kentucky and other other sort of more rural um, Pentecostal churches, the, the handling of snakes. This church did not handle snakes. Finally, I was able to go um, and, and sort of watch Emmanuel at church and sort of experience his church uh, alongside him. And then um, the next day sat down. It's weird. The NCA has these weird rules about now, I think the last year or two about days off where like, even if they want to talk for a story, if it's a mandated NCA day off, they can't. So I literally just almost was like a stalker. I just showed up and watched Emmanuel at church <laughs> and took notes. <laughs> and then we, we scheduled an interview for that Monday and we sat down and talked and um, talked a lot about his faith. And, and that was all interesting. Uh, all of that is, is interesting. It's all part of the story. But sort of the big reveal, the big twist in this story is that his father has, and who's always been a big part of his life, he's not an estranged father. He's, he's very involved in Emmanuel's life and is still with Emmanuel's mother who goes to every game she can and has traveled all over the world to see him play with his aunt, who everybody knows. They're kind of famous now. They're loud and proud. Mm-hmm. You know, they wear these bright colored outfits and scream and make signs and jerseys for Emmanuel, but his father has never seen him play a game in person. And I remember, I think I remember telling you about that when I was, mm-hmm. I was reporting on this story and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody yeah. that I talked to as I was working through the story was like, what? Never, not ever, has not ever in his life seen him play basketball in person. And until the end of last season when he was in the NCAA tournament, had never really seen him at all. Uh, and he sort of started watching the games in secret. I think he couldn't stay away once his son was in the tournament. You know, and Emmanuel yeah. ended up hitting a couple huge shots in the Sweet right. 16 game against Houston. Um, but didn't really tell anybody he was doing it. And then this year, a big part, I think, of Emmanuel wanting to really publicly, re, you know, not only rededicate himself to his, his faith, but also really publicly talk about it, was was he wanted to show his dad that like I can play basketball and um, be a Christian because the the whole reason his dad has never yeah, seen him here's play in the person kicker right here the reason yeah is is because of their pretty extremely strict faith that his dad thinks it's basically a ticket to hell I mean you know in in a way because there's a a worry that you know playing basketball will uh, draw attention away from your faith that if you you know become famous playing basketball obviously that that will you'll become sort of obsessed with worldly things and not a, of uh, heavenly things and you know for for you know some I think you can kind of understand why a super religious person might think that being a McDonald's all-American playing on the biggest stage in the world you know in, in college basketball mm-hmm. would be sort of a path to destruction. Uh, and so he's just never supported the basketball. Uh, in fact, you know, foosball, the, the devil, Bobby Boucher. <laughs> yeah, basically, is very, very sort of Bobby Boucher's uh, mom type thing. But um, 
to the extent that he wasn't even involved in the recruiting process. He turned all that over to Emmanuel's mom, and they they figured it out. And uh, he's never been to Lexington, not even as a visitor, not not just basketball. He's never even come to Lexington in a year and a half. Um, and so that was just really interesting to me. And yeah. talking to I talked to Emmanuel and talked to his mom about sort of why and how they deal with it, and if that's you know hurtful or painful or and uh, you know really. It's just something that Emmanuel said, like, you know, I, one of the things I tweeted today was, that, you know, basically to be thankful for an editor who will say to you in the writing process, what is this story actually about? Because you can write it several thousand words and not actually get to it. And that's what I had done. I'd written a lot about church and faith, but I hadn't really dug in on the dad stuff because I was a little hesitant to address it. Uh, but then I circled back to his mom and got a little more information. And that became sort of the story. What is this story about? Uh, if you go to The Athletic and read it, and I hope people will, um, I, I decided it was about courage and joy uh, because it takes a lot of courage to your dad say, I don't support this thing that you love. I think it could jeopardize your salvation. It takes a lot of courage as a kid mm-hmm. and a teenager to say, I'm going to do that anyway, and I'm also going to find a way to show you that you can be both a basketball player and, a, and an upright Christian, as he said to me in the interview. Um, and then the joy of seeing the success that he's enjoying this season and and finally his dad coming around. So one other thing I'll reveal without giving too much more away about the story is after the Louisville game, his breakout game, he hits the clinching free throws in overtime, um, he gets a text message in the locker room from somebody back home in Maryland, and it was a video of his father watching the game on TV, on the phone with his grandfather, calling out like Emmanuel's at the line he's going to clinch it he's going to he's going to send him home baby he's got this he's got this and he was so excited uh and Emmanuel just beamed uh, you know understandably yeah. he said it was he said you know my dad has always loved me but i have to admit like that was one of the coolest moments of my life to see that my dad was finally proud of me for basketball um yeah and i mean come on that's that's if that doesn't hit you in the gut. Um, right, right. So anyway, the story just really explores that, their relationship, the, um, you know, uh, how reconnecting to his faith. What it, You know, whether you believe any of this religious stuff or not, and I know there's plenty of people who don't or roll their eyes at it. One thing I think you can agree on, and he talks about, is you can, just by believing that someone else is in control of his life and that he is not, it, there's a freedom in that for him when he plays that he doesn't he doesn't worry he doesn't stress and you know Calipari keeps saying the word courage about Emmanuel quickly he's the mm-hmm. guy taking all these big shots making right. every big free throw in the final a stat I looked up for the story in the final five minutes of single digit margin games this season Emmanuel quickly is 17 for 17 at the free throw line oh my gosh I mean he 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 has no fear. And uh, anyway, so the story is a lot about courage and a lot about joy, and I hope people uh, will check it out. Absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to reading it myself. All right, we got to take another break, and we'll be back with uh, a look at this game against Auburn on Saturday, college game day and all that on the Plains, when the Locked on Kentucky podcast continues. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Kentucky is a great way for local businesses to reach passionate UK fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. 
If your company wants to connect with UK fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com forward slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com forward slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. Okay, we're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And uh, Kyle, uh, the big game against Auburn coming up. A couple things uh, I wanted to mention before we jump into that. Uh, Bam Adebayo selected to the NBA All-Star game. Uh, pretty big there that he's a reserve uh, selected by the coaches. Some snubs, Devin Booker, uh, Calipari tweeted about that, that Booker wasn't uh, uh, put on there. But you could make a case for, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, some other guys. Uh, and then Ryan Howard, she she fractured her finger against Auburn on Monday, checked back into the game late, and was the reason they won the game. She made, like, huge plays in the last few minutes with a fractured finger. Well, now... Uh, that they know it's a fractured finger, she's going to be out a couple weeks. And UK, the women's team, went on the road at Missouri Thursday night and destroyed the Tigers without Howard, 62-47. And then the last thing I wanted to mention before we get into the Auburn game, $651 million. That's how much the SEC pulled in in revenue for the, uh, for the 2019 fiscal year. Divided that among 14 SEC schools, $44.6 million per school. Yes, Vanderbilt also gets $44.6 million. <laughs> Seems wrong. Uh, the prior year's total revenue was $627.1 million. So you're looking at, uh, what is that, $24, more, $24 million above that. And uh, the share was 43.1 per school versus now this year 44.6. It's only going to keep going up. And that's, yeah, they, the, the rights to that uh, showcase game on Saturday, CBS basically bailed out of the bidding, and ESPN's probably going to get it for a, a fortune. So that number is going to go up. It's outrageous, the, the money. Um, mm. By the way, since we're talking about things that are not uh, Auburn yet, uh, Across my timeline, as you were uh, doing the ad read, uh, there there's a Michael Vick thirty for thirty coming out, and there's oh a I'm recording it as we or I was recording it. It's uh, oh is it our, is it right airing now. tonight? Yeah, the um, first part's airing tonight, and the second part is airing next week. So apparently, Michael Vick at his pro day threw a ball so hard that it split a guy's finger and the bone fell out. I don't. That's what someone tweeted a clip of with oh my the caption. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, well, you know, I can't but, wait to watch that Michael Vick 30 for 30. One of my friends, David Teal, a uh, great sports writer in Virginia, is, I think interviewed for it, and uh, it'll be electric. I just always – I've always imagined what would Michael Vick in a, in a current modern-day spread offense do because he played in a pretty antiquated offense, and really if you look at his numbers, they were like, eh, in college, but – like Michael Vick and I think Andy Staples uh, tweeted, you know, somebody somebody did one of those hypotheticals. Who, if you could add, pair any historical coach or any historical player with a current coach, who would it be? And Andy Staples said Michael Vick with Lincoln Riley, and I fully oh support that gosh. because people, the kids these days, uh, they don't understand. You you have no idea if you didn't watch Michael Vick, you have no idea 
Like he's yeah. whatever you think of the most electric player, L- Lamar Jackson. Let's say Michael Vick was every bit of that in college. Yeah, I mean Lamar Jackson is the closest thing we have seen since. I mean, yeah, and he might, maybe the- you know maybe he's better, but man, Vick was he was like of another world uh, back in the day. God, I've got some good Michael Vick stories because I when he was in, at the Atlanta Falcons, I started covering the Atlanta oh, Falcons. Wow. And, let's uh, talk about that. Another, let's talk about it next yeah. week as we review the uh, Michael Vick thirty for thirty. Yeah, we'll have to do that another time. All right, let's jump into Auburn. Um, you know, Auburn eighteen and two. You know, just had those two losses back to back on the road. Uh, otherwise, you know, five and two in the SEC. The the series. I mean, UK dominates every series in the SEC pretty much. UK leads at ninety four to twenty. Leads at Auburn thirty one to fifteen. But just over the past four seasons. Hint, hint, Bruce Pearl. Uh, this series is tied at three and three, and in Auburn, it's one and two. Uh, Kentucky is one and two over the past four seasons in Auburn. Now, last year, Kentucky beat Auburn, home and away, but then, of course, we know, lost in that third game in the region final in Kansas City in overtime. But Kentucky had won. Just to give you an idea of what Bruce Pearl has meant, Kentucky had won eighteen in a row over Auburn before that loss. Uh, in 2016, and then the U.K. lost in the following trip to Auburn in 2018. Uh, but in terms of what Auburn does well, um, I mean, we can get into a bunch of numbers, but I, they, they blocked more shots than I thought they they did. They actually blocked more shots than Kentucky does. Their average is 5.5, Kentucky's 5.1. Uh, that's 17th nationally is Auburn. I didn't realize that. But I think the biggest thing for Auburn is – their top two, four, six. Their top six players, five of them are seniors: Samir Dowdy, Javon McCormick, Austin Wiley, Daniel Purifoy, and Anfermi McLemore. And then you add to that the freshman Isaac Okoro, and and those players right there. Uh, four of those guys average double figures. They almost have a fifth in double figures. I mean, Purifoy is nine and a half points per game. Uh, so and then Macklemore is eight points a game. It's almost th- those you have six starters kind of in those guys, and they all do a little bit of everything. I mean, there's you know Wiley averages a almost a double double. Um, uh, Dowdy and McCormick are not great shooters, but uh, they get to the foul line. That's the other thing that Auburn does really well is they get to the free throw line. They are. Uh, they lead the SEC in free throw attempts. We talk about Kentucky, you know, getting to the line a lot. Now, while Auburn leads the SEC in attempts, they're 13th out of 14th in free throw percentage. Uh, Kentucky is first in made uh, free throws in the SEC and second uh, with a 77.4% free throw percentage. That's 13th nationally. Yeah, and I think I think what you're talking about. Um... With the the veteran presence is a, a really big deal, um, and I've said it a bunch of times. But yeah, you, you lost you know your t- your terrific backcourt that really lit Kentucky up in that Elite Eight game, and you lost. Um, I've just completely blanked on his name, uh, Chuma Okiki. Uh, yeah, who, who didn't even play in that game? He was injured already, but he is a terrific player who went in the first round. But all six of those guys you mentioned those those seniors or five um, played a significant role in on that final four team I mean they went deep and so they had a bunch of dudes back who have 
Final Four experience. Um, you know, they know what it takes to win big games and close games. Um, and so you add this electric freshman to that group of seniors, and and you kind of can just let the freshman go. You know, go go do your big go do your thing, young fella. Um, and the rest mm-hmm. of them kind of hold it down. Um, they're dangerous because of that. I mean, they're they're not as talented as they were a year ago, but they are, you know, almost equally dangerous because they've just they've got guys who've been in all those big moments. They won't, you know, they're not going to get rattled. Uh, I think this year, last year when they came to Rupp, that was one of the reasons Kentucky was so overconfident when they came to was in the Elite Eight because when they came to Rupp at the end of the year, uh, those guys were shook. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that'll happen when they uh, on the return trip to Rupp Arena this year. Uh, it's certainly not going to happen when they have the home crowd Saturday. That place is going to be bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been good when they've had lesser teams. It's been Auburn Arena is a perfect kind of smallish modern yeah. college basketball arena. I love that place. It's perfectly done. The sound, you know, is uh, right on top of you in there. They pack it out nine or ten thousand or whatever it is. Um, yeah, because if you made it too much bigger, you wouldn't you wouldn't get the crowd. Yeah, ninety ninety one hundred is the capacity basically. Yeah. Um, it's only the hundred and eighth largest arena in Division One, according to Ken Palm. But it's I mean that's perfect. You're, you know, it's a football town for the most part, um, and you'd rather. You'd rather the big game, every ticket be 500 bucks, and the average game, you can mostly still sell it out, you know, mm-hmm. um, when you're a program like Auburn. And so it's going to be, you know, they're going to have the crowd against them. They're going to, as, as much as Kentucky's leaned on a kind of an unusually veteran team this year, veteran means three sophomores and a junior and a grad transfer that hasn't played a whole lot lately, Nate Sestina. You know, Auburn's got real veterans. Senior, right. senior, 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 and super freshman. Um, yeah, this this will be uh, probably the biggest challenge of the three they've had so far. These consecutive Saturday road games. And one of the things Auburn does really well that Kentucky has struggled is offensive rebounding. Like if Nick Richards is in foul trouble, uh, Auburn leads the conference in offensive rebounds. Uh, gets about three, a little more than three, more than uh, Kentucky gets per game. And, and they're just a really good rebounding team because all those guys, they don't have um, – they just have a bunch of guys who rebound, like four here and five here and four here and five here. That's because they're all like 6'7", 220, like every one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have Austin Wiley, who's massive, 6'11", 260. But uh, Okoro, 6'6", 225. Purifoy is 6'7", 230. Anthony yeah. McLemore, 6'7", 220. Yeah. Um, they're all big. And then Dowdy uh, – He's As a guard four. is six four. I mean, yeah. they are a pretty long, big, athletic team. You know, they're not like scrawny kids either. They they will be formidable for Kentucky. I think they will try. You know, you look at the the free throw rate for them. How much they're getting fouled? They're going to make it physical. They're mm-hmm. they're deep enough probably to do that to you and say let's just foul them every time and make them foul us back and we, we believe we can win the war of attrition. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could could end up being kind of an ugly game that way, but uh, I I think if Kentucky wins this one, I will be maybe most impressed of all. Um, and at that point, you know, regardless of the terrible wins on the ledger, I mean, sorry, the terrible losses on the ledger, if they if they pull off this third straight Saturday upset on the road, um, 
I would say you've got to start thinking about Kentucky as a two three seed, you know, as in terms of re- resetting the ce- the ceiling. I mean, they can obviously still get there now as we think about it, but I think they're more as a more of a four five seed as we yeah. sit here today. And I think you start to think about them as a 2-3. And it's interesting, uh, Andy Katz, who now does a bunch of stuff for the NCAA, yeah. used to work for ESPN, he had, he did like a list of like ranking the teams you don't want to face in March, mm-hmm. and he ranked Kentucky number one today. Yeah. Uh, which he must have had that list done before Vanderbilt. But uh, <laughs> but I think there's some I think there's some value in what happened in that Vanderbilt game. I, I don't – you know, they won the game, so I don't really think too, too much about it. But – I think a lot of people, more people will be thinking the way Andy's thinking if they go win at Auburn. Yeah, I'm, I've gone back and forth. I, I don't know. I mean, um, if I, I certainly believe Kentucky could win the game, and I think uh, the motivation of losing an overtime in the Elite Eight is going to be there for, for quickly, and, and Hagen's especially, and Nick. Uh, so, and I believe Tyrese Maxey is, you know, up to the challenge for sure. Uh, it's just a matter of you know, Auburn's veteran leadership that they have there, and they know how big this game is, and it's not the first time they've been in, you know, these guys have been in this situation. So, uh, and they're coming off a similar deal that Kentucky is. They, they went to Ole Miss and nearly lost that game, and uh, Kentucky played, you know, the other horrible most, you know, the other worst team in the SEC, Vanderbilt, and nearly lost that game. So, um it's going to be interesting. I don't know if I can call it. I haven't seen, you know, the line will be out tomorrow. And I would say that it'll probably be uh, two, three points Auburn's favor if I were, uh, if I were guessing. So, yeah. Any, anyway, that'll, that'll wrap it up. We'll uh, talk about it on Monday, of course. We'll uh, wrap up this game, the Super Bowl on Sunday. So uh, we'll, we'll record that before the Super Bowl, I would, I would hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and Ideally. Then, yeah, and we'll uh, discuss this this Auburn game on, on Saturday. So join us again on Monday on the Lockdown Kentucky Podcast. Until then, follow us on Twitter at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. That's me, Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. Have a great weekend, everyone. You are locked on Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.